0: Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. How many of you have already had turkey? Raise your hand. Remember, you are what you eat. How many of you are having turkey later today or tomorrow? How many of you are having it yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Amen to that. Right? I never met a turkey I didn't like, honest to goodness. It's the greatest time of the year. We are, uh, if you're visiting with us today on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we are glad you are here. And uh, we are going through a um, a series called The Story. Uh, We are looking at the Bible, the biblical story of God's redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, we are in week six of that, chapter six. If you have your story Bible with you, it's chapter six, and we're going to read together now, uh, we are going to read all the way from Numbers chapter 10 to Numbers chapter 14, 13 to verse 33. Uh, but we're going to kind of pull out some text in there so we actually get through. But it's quite a long text. But what I've noticed, as I mentioned last week, is that the longer the text, the better you read. So let's stand together, and uh, I'm going to read the blue. And uh, you're going to read the white, and this is what it says. And on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai.
1: Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the
0: outskirts of the camp. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We we, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna.
1: Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was
0: troubled. And the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And you will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils, and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord. Who was among you and have wailed before him saying why did we ever leave Egypt? Moses heard the
1: people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents.
0: You know we already read that right? Here you go. This is one.
1: Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this.
0: And the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. For if From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders.
1: They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is his fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large.
0: And Caleb silenced the people of our Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the
1: men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored.
0: And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we see there are of great size. We see the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim, which were giants. We seem like grasshopper in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Let's pray together. Father, we pause today to thank you and praise you for your incredible gift, expression, of love and generosity and graciousness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for Him. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for us to enjoy and to enter into everything that you have accomplished and everything that you've done in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray today that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, but particularly, Lord, to go out into our lives. To go out into our relationships, our marriages, our families, our neighborhoods, the places where we work and where we get our education and where we get our services and where we find our recreation and all those things, Lord, that you would help us by the same Holy Spirit to live out what it means to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus Christ, to be Christians, and to do that in a physical tangible and meaningful way in christ's name we pray amen why don't you be seated we are in chapter six of the story and this morning we are looking at the wanderings of israel as he leads them from mount sinai to gadesh barnea and i'll explain that in a moment now For those of you that are not familiar with the story, and those of you that have forgotten the story, and those of you that haven't read the story for a while, let me just sort of bring you up, your memory up to uh, par, and I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this morning. First of all, we know that Israel has been in captivity in Egypt for 430 years, and finally, God leads Israel's family which is now a nation out of Israel and of course as they're leaving Pharaoh and his posse pursues them. They come to the Red Sea and God miraculously opens the Red Sea and the people of Israel they walk through on dry land but the water comes in and drowns all of Pharaoh's army. Then they come to this place called Merah where the water is not drinkable and God does a miracle there where this undrinkable water actually becomes drinkable. And then along the path, before they get to Mount Sinai, they actually, God gives them food, he gives them manna, he gives them meat to eat. And then when they get to Mount Horeb, he actually brings water out of a rock, miraculously. And then, of course, when we come to Mount Sinai and Mount Mount, um, Horeb, God puts on a pyrotechnic show that is second to none, and there Moses and the people of God and we receive the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, and then they are there for one full year, one year at the base of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb then after one year, God gives them the word, and they make their way from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea is the gateway to Canaan. It's the gateway to the promised land. It's the entry point. Now, it takes 11 days, 11 days to walk from Mount Sinai to get to the gateway of Canaan. I want you to keep that in mind. The second thing I want you to keep in mind is this. That Israel's family, Jacob's family, which is now a nation, are both trouble and typical. They are trouble because they are problematic, they are difficult, they are unruly, they are ingrates, they're always complaining, and they're hard to manage. But they are also typical. They are us, and we are them. They are the church then, actually Acts chapter 7 verse 38 says, calls them the church in the wilderness, and we are the church now. And there are many similarities between them and us. Put your seatbelt on. Matter of fact, there's hardly any difference between them then and us now. I have yet to be in a church Or be a part of a church, and I mean this for congregation and pastors, who did not complain. I have never been at church, never been with the people of God who didn't complain amongst themselves and didn't complain about each other. Congregation complaining about other congregants and congregants complaining against the pastor and the pastor complaining against the congregants. We are them and they are us. So let's not get too uppity this morning. But let's understand who we are. But also remember this, that they are forever the people of God. Just like you and I in our unfaithfulness and in our faithfulness, in our obedience and in our disobedience, God does not abandon us. We are still the people of God. So our text reads, on the 20th day of the second month of the second year, they set out on their way to the promised land. But before long, they start to complain. They start to gripe, and in their complaining and in their griping, they grieve God. Now, grieving God can happen in many ways, and it happens, and there are examples of it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, other than complaining and griping, God is grieved by disobedience and forgetting him, by grumbling and by disbelief. In the New Testament, we are told in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, that we are to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here are some examples of grieving in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God is grieved by legalism and by hypocrisy and by pride and by self-effort and by resistance to his Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians, we read these words, do not quench the spirit and do not treat prophecies with contempt. But there are consequences to grieving God. Now, Numbers chapter 11 to chapter 13 gives us four complaints that the people of God, that Israel's family, his nation make that grieve God and the consequences that come as a result. Now, the first complaint is about the hardships along the journey. Now, I wonder if Moses ever felt that felt like when he was leading the children of Israel that he was trying to get cats to walk in a parade or herd cats. Or like being on a road trip with kids, and they're fussing, and they're fighting, and they're endless questioning, and Moses has two million kids in the back seat, and they're on a road trip, and they're complaining, and they're asking, are we there yet? And we are told that they're complaining, and they're griping, grieve God. In Numbers chapter 11 verse 1 says that fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. That the actions of Israel's family nation, actually God withdrew his protection and he began to fight against them. Isaiah 63.10 summed it up. Isaiah said that in, his, there, in his commentary, yet they rebelled and they grieved the Holy Spirit, so he turned and he became their enemy and he fought against them. That creates a perilous situation. When God becomes our enemy and he begins to fight against us, The second thing that we are told is that not only did they complain about the hardships along the journey, but they complained about the food. Now, God knows, as does every other parent, that kids always complain about the food. But this is different than that, there's a backstory. And the back story is that God has provided for this family nation of two million people or so, approximately, this food called manna. Now the psalm, Psalm 78, calls manna the grain of heaven and the bread of angels. But when the Israelites first saw it, Exodus chapter 16 tells us, they looked at it and they wondered, what is it? Because it tells us in numbers that it looked like coriander seed, which I have never ever seen in my life, and that it was like resin, and I'm assuming it was like sweet like honey, but was more, had more substance. But when they saw it on the ground and it fell from heaven and it was on the ground, it looked like dew. And they said, what is it? Because that's exactly what manna means. Manna means, what is it? It's a good name. But there's a message in the manna. And the message in the manna is this. It is enough. Now, Moses told them, that they were to go down, and the manna would come down during the uh, night while they were sleeping. They would go out in the morning. And uh, Moses said that they were to collect enough for that day. They weren't to collect more. They were to collect just enough for the one day, and then the next day, there would be more. It's called grace. It's called grace daily. Then on Friday, the day before Saturday, which is the Sabbath, they were to collect twice as much for their family because on the Sabbath there would be no manna and they weren't allowed to collect any on the Sabbath anyway. But the story goes that with human beings, like all human beings with food security issues and greed issues, some of them collected more than they should have. And Exodus chapter 16, verse 20 tells us that some of them paid no attention to Moses. Well, surprise. And they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now, don't you love the description of the Bible? It was full of maggots. Maggots. It just sounds good saying it from the pulpit. It was full of maggots, and it began to smell. Now, the lesson in the manna and the maggots is this. An unhealthy appetite for more than what we need will rot. And it will rot our souls and our lives. Now, is it not amazing to you... And I know we're all alike here. I mean, we're all this. I'm talking to everybody, me included. Is it not amazing to us that we spend so much time and so much effort and so much energy and so much resources on accumulating things that have a shelf date? In other words, things that do not last and we are not going to take out of this world. Everything has an expiry date. But there's also this. The second message in the manna is that God will provide for us. Do we believe that? Mm Mm-hmm. That God will provide for us, and when God provides for us, it's not too little, and it's not too much. But what happens... When what God provides, what God gives us in our eyes and in our minds is not enough. We start striving for more. And before long, we're physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. Before long, our intimate and our closest relationships are strained. Our calendars have no, no margins and they are maxed out to the edges as is our resources and our money. And spiritually we become dry and discouraged. But thank God it doesn't end there because here's another message in the manna. That the message in the manna is not about something only. The message in the manna is about someone. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And whoever comes to me will never grow, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But there's also this. There's such a thing as hidden manna. A Revelation, Jesus says these words, he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to this church, to me, to you. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, what in the world could be the hidden manna? Well, Colossians tells us. Colossians tells us that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, God will give us better than we gave up. God will give you better than you gave up. God will give me better than what I gave up. You see, God has a hidden manna that some of us know about and other of us have known about it and have forgotten. God has a hidden manna God has a provision that is supernatural that will sustain us. God has a strength that he can give us that is beyond our strength. God has a contentment that is hidden in Jesus Christ that goes beyond everything and anything in this world. He has a peace that passes all understanding and he has a joy that the world can never know and have never known because it is hidden in Jesus who is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And he wants to give us this hidden manna. He wants you to partake of the hidden manna that's in Jesus Christ. He wants me to partake in the hidden manna that's in Jesus Christ. The psalmist, even in the Old Testament, said this. He said, you make known to me the path of life, path, not paths, path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God has blessings, and God has things for us, for me, for you for his church that we haven't even begun to think about because in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and Jesus said I am the bread of life and whoever is hungry whoever eats of me will never hunger and whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty but then our text tells us this in Numbers It tells us that the rabble, I love that word, the rabble with them, there's always a rabble, right? Problematic groups of people. There are the other guys, by the way. They're not us, they're the other people. The rabble with them began to crave other food and be, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Someone. Once said that happy are those who complain, for they shall get their way in the end. Another person countered back and said, "Be careful what we wish for or pray for; we just might get it." And in our text, God gives them God gives them and gave them exactly what they asked for. And our text tells us, and I, and I love this text in the Bible. I don't know why, just my morbid sense of humor, I guess. But it says, now the Lord will give you meat. And you will eat it. And you're not going to eat it for one day or two days or 20 days. You're going to eat it for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. And you loathe it. You see, when we're not happy with God's provision... And we clamor for more. We often get it. But it was more than just the food that was the problem. It was something much deeper and much more serious. And the greater issue is in Numbers chapter 11 verse 20 where Moses says, Because you have rejected the Lord. The commentary The commentary out of Psalm 106 says this in the NIV. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. The King James says, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. The consequences are absolutely Problematic. And then we come to the third complaint. Now, the third complaint is against the leader, Moses. And so these are family problems. They don't have a problem just with the food, but now they got a problem with in-laws. In-laws. Anybody got a problem with in-laws? This is not the weekend to get into it. If you don't like your sister-in-law, this is not the weekend to make it known, or your brother-in-law, or your mother-in-law, or your father-in-law, or any in-law. But they got a problem with Moses' wife. She's a Cushite. I don't know what that means, but it can't be good. If they say, well, is anything come good come out of Nazareth, well, that's going to be problematic. And then they say, well, he's just from Newfoundland. Be careful now. Be careful. Speaking against the leader is something that probably needs to be addressed by somebody other than myself this morning to this congregation. But I have no hidden agenda. I have no ulterior motive. It's just in the text. But I will say to us, and I will remind us, that when Miriam spoke against the leader, you know what happened to her? She got leprosy. Imagine what would happen if every time you spoke against the leader, you broke out with leprosy. Imagine if every time I spoke against my leaders, I came out with leprosy. Man, I I think that might be a bit of a cure. But I think enough said on that point. I think I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. The fourth thing and the final thing that they can complain about is where they are going. Where they're going. They're going to the promised land, they're headed to a destination. And this complaint carries a most grievous consequence. We pick up this story in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and they are literally at the gateway of Canaan. They are at Kadesh Barnea. They are about to enter into the promised land. They can actually go into the promised land at this point. And God says to Moses, I want you to send in 12 spies. I want each one of them from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. And I want them to go in for 40 days to do reconnaissance and fact-finding. They go in for 40 days, they do their job, they come back, and these are the facts. The 10 spies report about the abundance of the land and also that there are giants in the land. And they report. They conclude, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. But the two spies, Joshua and Caleb... They conclude the same thing, that the land is prosperous and it is good. But they conclude something different. They say, we should go up and possess the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, is it not amazing? Is it not amazing that God has just delivered the nation of Israel a year ago out of the hands of the most powerful nation on the planet at the time? This is like the United States of America 4,000 years ago. Egypt. And they come to Canaan after God has delivered them from the most powerful nation on the planet and now all of a sudden they cower in the face of a local tribe. How quickly they and we forget. God answers our prayer and God comes through and works out, and we say to ourselves, I am never going to doubt God ever again. But we do, don't we? We do. See, they're us, and we're them. But this is what happens when we lose our sense of God. This is what happens when we forget God. We tend to exaggerate our problems and our difficulties. When we lose our sense of God, we begin to think that our problems are actually bigger than they actually are. And all the people, it says, we saw there are of a great size. We saw the giants, the Nephilim there. And here's the other part of the problem when we tend to exaggerate our problems. Is that negative attitudes are contagious. And verse 32 says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. When we lose our sense of God, when we forget who God is, we tend to underestimate our ability. Listen to what it says in verse 33. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, here is a nation that has been set free but only physically. In their minds, they are still enslaved. They are still thinking like slaves that they cannot help themselves, that they are helpless, that they are insects to be squashed. Third, when we lose our sense of God, our memory of God, we tend to get discouraged. Verse 1 of 14 says, That night all the members, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And then we come to this. When we forget God, when we lose our sense of God, when we lose our memory of God, we tend to grumble against God's people. And Numbers 14.2 says that all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. And lastly, when we lose our sense of God, when we lose our memory and we forget God, we actually end up blaming God. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And here's the consequence. The consequence is this. God says... Because of your griping, because of your complaining, because of your grieving, because of your lack of faith, because of your stubbornness, you're going to wander in this desert for 40 days, 1 day, 1 year for every day the spies were in the wilderness, were in the promised land, 40 years. 40 years. I think most of us who have been Christians for a while know that sometimes the path of our Christian journey from Egypt to the promised land lies through the wilderness, the desert. But it does not always have to. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Just a private moment. Sometimes, like the people then and us now, we wander in the wilderness, not physically, but sometimes in the wilderness of relationships, in the wilderness of finances. In the wilderness of illness, in the, Ill will, in the wilderness of different things. Matter of fact, I was sharing with our Bible study group this past Wednesday night about a church that Ruth and I pastored, and 25 years before we got there, there was an issue of immorality that never got dealt with, and that church wandered in the wilderness for 25 years. By the time we got there, they had the, the entire building that they had built numbers of years ago had been paid for. They didn't owe a dime to anybody, and they were so strapped financially that the board on board evening board meeting evenings would have to decide how much office supplies they could buy because things were so tight financially. And the reason why they wandered in the desert for 25 years as a church and a congregation is because they wouldn't deal with their stuff. Oh, I know that some of us have experienced illness because we live in a world that's broken. I understand that, so I'm not laying guilt here, so be very careful how we say this. But some of us are wandering in the wilderness, in our marriages, in our families. We can't ever seem to get ahead financially. And the problem is, is that the deserts that we're wandering through are of our own making. They're self-inflicted. So on Thanksgiving Sunday, if that's you, If you're watching online and you resonate with what I'm saying, isn't this, why wouldn't you make it right? Why wouldn't we ask God for forgiveness and then go to our partner or go to our children or... Our workplace or look at our finances and say where do I need to reconcile where do I need to start again because as Christians I think we all know that the hope of the gospel is this there is always a new beginning there is always the hope of a fresh start so why wouldn't we go home this weekend And look our spouses in the eye and say, I have been selfish and sinful, and I want to humble myself, and I want to start again, if you're willing to do that. And I believe God will help us, and we'll get some help if we need to. Maybe we need to look at our finances again and say, okay, maybe we just need to downsize. Maybe our eyes are bigger than we can afford. Maybe it's time to start again and to humble ourselves and make some changes. Maybe it's time to go to our children or our children come go to their parents and say, son or daughter, I need to apologize for being mean-spirited or being unfair. Mom and dad, I need to apologize for being rebellious. And the list goes on. And you know what I'm talking about? Why wouldn't we do that? I mean, good night. The easiest thing in the world is to ask God for forgiveness. And it just says, and he says, if you come to me, I'll forgive you. And not only that, I'll pour out my spirit upon you so that you can walk in humility and you can make things right. Or is it that our greed is so great and our selfishness is so strong? that we want it all and we deserve it all. And it is rotting our hearts and our lives and our souls and our relationships. How about it? How about some humility this morning and saying, God, I need to be humble before you first. I need to make it right with you and I need to get over myself and I need you to help me to get over it. I need to die to me. and I need you to help me to realize that the only image I'm ever going to have is being a son or daughter of yours, not being dressed the right way and wearing the right thing and driving the right thing and living in a certain place or having all the trinkets and the toys and yet nothing left at the end of the month. Father, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to mine first, and Lord, show me the places in my life where there is division and brokenness and hurt. But Father, in the lives of all the people in this room and those that are watching online this morning and those who are gonna watch the archive, Lord, would you show them In our lives where there is division and brokenness and hurt and father that you would breathe into us today and Lord death is never never the final word death never as the final word but the hope of resurrection that comes through forgiveness and forgiveness says there's a new beginning There's a new start. The marriage can start again. The finances can start over again. Our families can start again. And we'll clean up the mess and we'll apologize and make right what we can make right. And God, you will heal what we can't if we're humble and honest before you this morning. Father, today I pray for every man, for every woman. I pray for every single man, every single woman. I pray for every young adult. I pray for every teenager, Lord. I pray for every child, Lord, that is in this room and not downstairs as a part of the children's ministry. Father, that they would be here because of your divine appointment and direction, not by happenstance, that you would speak to us today. You are the God of hope, You're the God of the second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And your gospel is a gospel of resurrection, of new life. And so, Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus.